Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premier North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby, one fan at a time. Welcome, rugby fans. It's that time again here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, episode 135, where we get myself and the team together to share with you all the great insights from rugby across the realms, but in particular here in North America. My name is Ty, the Saffer Braga. Joining me is Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And by his side, of course, we've got Scott, the big guy Ferrara. We are the Rugby Rant Podcast team. Right. And we're going to be diving in in a moment to be able to share some of the great news from across those rugby realms with Around the Pitch. That'll kick us off here today. But then following that, we're going to dive into the interesting conversation of a new Sevens Rugby Tournament on American soil. This has been hit with a lot of interesting comments. Some have come out speaking against it. Some have been talking about, is this just another attempt that's not going to make its way through to the top? And then there are, of course, many, many great reasons to enjoy it as well. We're going to dive into a lot of this and talking about the validity of the New York Champion Sevens series taking place July. So stick around if you want to be able to learn about this and more here with the Rugby Rant. But first, we start with Around the Pitch. When we pick up the ball, we also pick up a legacy. A legacy that stretches beyond your current team. A legacy built on the backs of those who came before you with hard work. And for those who will come after you, we promise it won't be easy. But we'll be there, supporting you on and off the field. Gentlemen, you know how it goes, but as a reminder for everybody else tuning in, we're going to go around the table and share something interesting. Rob, the 90s is calling. Um, (laughs) 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 That must be on, is that on, that must be on Rob's microphone off while my phone was ringing, but apparently I turned the microphone on. And, and then we heard a ring. <laughs> gotta love it. Gotta love it. You're gonna make right, me work right. my ass off to recut this thing. I know. You? I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I messed this one up. You feel free to leave it in. I don't care. Um, all right. So let's dive. Wait. Where did I end that one? I kind of think now. I don't. Know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Here we are, boys. Once again, it's time to be able to share some interesting rugby news for the fans at home. And as a quick reminder for those fans, how it works is we're going to start it off with Rob. We're going to move once around the table and share something interesting that we think you should pay attention to as a rugby fan. It could be here, closer to home, or it could be far abroad and everywhere in between when it comes to rugby. Rob, take it away. Yeah, we're celebrating uh, right up until we hit that 50th player with the first 50 caps in MLR. And we got four big ones this last weekend. We got Matt Harmon at number 45, Nola Gold. Uh, was number th- uh, 39 on the Nola Gold list. Eagle uh, with eight caps, number uh, 541. Uh, I got to mention this because it hits right here close to home. Lake Forest Harriers, 
Uh, so born and bred rugby, Illinois, learned how to play rugby here, two-time Illinois state champ. Um, and then he went on to, to uh, win a D1A national championship with Life University. And then at number 46, we got Charlie Hewitt, iron worker number 44. He's also Sabercat number eight. Uh, played with the USA Falcons, London Scottish, and uh, the Worcester Warriors. And then at number 47, we got none other than the original Nate the Great, okay, Augsburger. All right, uh, number 47 uh, in the MLR for 50 with 50. San Diego, number 24, Eastside Banshees, right up there in Minnesota. Uh, University of Minnesota, he was a collegiate All-American. Uh, USA Sevens, Pan Am Game bronze medalist, and Eagle number five, uh, 491 with 33 caps. He's still going strong. Love to see Nate play and do his work. And then, of course, at number 48, Kenny Nasokeke, uh, Houston's number 93 on their list. Belmont Shore won a Pacific Rugby Premiership title. San Diego Legion number 28. Uh, no, sorry, has 28 matches with them. Again, played for Belmont Shore and SoCal Griffin. So we had one hell of a list of guys in right. the four with a huge rugby resume. Great to see. And we just have two more to get to the 50th. Yeah, it's great to be able to keep seeing those names making their way onto that honor roll. And uh, as you pointed out, we're going to keep going to 50, and that's just around the corner now. So let's hear what you've got, Scott. Uh, so over the weekend, they had the Premier 15's uh, Allianz Cup final, and the uh, Exeter Chiefs women uh, beat my Saris women 29-19. to 19. And the reason we're talking about this is because there's several North American players. Rob, how did Lindenwood do against Navy? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, but including, <laughs> if you can go if you go check out uh, uh, oh, Kate Zachary's. How did Iona do? Listen. <laughs> Listen, I got the wind over LU. That's all I needed, buddy. Um, but Kate Zach, check, check out Kate Zachary's Instagram at Kate, at Kate underscore Zach um, to see some great pictures of them in the cup. But on that team, Kate Zachary, Charlie Jacoby, Hope Rogers, Gabby Cantorna, uh, Emily Tatasi, and Rachel Johnson. And I think I'm missing one or two. I apologize for that. Those are the ones off my head. Um, congratulations, Joe. These North American women are applying the trade over in the UK and winning championships mm-hmm. doing it. Last season, it was, you know, Lev Kelter and the girls on Saracens, you know. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're obviously pushing the pace in, on the women's game, right? We're pushing that needle. Right. Um, and, and we're showing that it is possible for these women to get on the high performance end of playing mm-hmm. at the professional level, even though it's not in the United States or Canada. Right, right. And I love that you're highlighting those names. Because only a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation about the idea of introducing a British and Irish Lions tour to the US and possibly Canada, right? Because we have such incredible talent that could warrant it. And you highlighted many of the names that we did then, but it's great to be able to hear it come up again. So again, friends, if you're not paying attention to this, uh, uh, the development of the women's game, uh, here and abroad, you should be paying attention. What are you to doing? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Uh, it, it's incredible to be able to see. So uh, let me also talk about USA Rugby a little bit more in depth here. Recently, the news came through ARN that there is a special tournament that's going to be held in Spain that will give the USA Eagles an opportunity to play some international rugby. Now, why do I bring that say it like it's a surprise. Well, obviously they're not competing in this year's Rugby World Cup, but they still want to be able to gain some experience. So they have to be able to work with teams that are not committed to that. And also 
Interestingly enough, great competition. So it's going to be hosted in Spain this November. Dates are still undecided. Venue is still undecided or at least not shared with us at the moment, at least by the time of this recording. But what is identified is the level is who will be competing against. So it's going to include, of course, Spain. We're going to see Brazil. And we're going to see Canada and the U.S., four teams to be able to compete. Again, we don't know the dates, but it's exciting that we have an opportunity to play international rugby because I think most people would agree that it's all about playing as many games and getting as much cohesion, identifying as many players as possible between now and the next opportunity to qualify for a Rugby World Cup. And on that note, I'm going to hand it back to Rob Hammerschmidt to be able to take us out in this segment with his final piece. Yeah, I like to talk about college rugby because it is the lifeblood of our sport here in the United States. And NCR was busy this last weekend. We love what they do and support what they do. They put on the CRC7s, and it was an incredible event on TRN. You could catch every match. Kudos to Next Level Rugby. Uh, my guy, Ryan Ginty, putting that on. Great work, my man. Um, and, uh, I just want to hit uh, the, the teams that won deserve to be recognized both in the men's and women's side. So I'm going to go through them quickly. Men's premier cup, Mount St. Mary's 19 over Indiana university, uh, 19 to five. Um, that was an, uh, I mean, that underdog winner there. I mean, you had two U 23 guys and, and, and Will Chevalier being one of them, uh, playing for Indiana. So, a big upset. All right, men's division one, University of San Diego 15 over Clemson, uh, uh, 15 to seven. Uh, men's division two, um, Indiana University uh, of Pennsylvania over NC State 12 to seven. The men's small college, we had um, Babson Beavers 15 over Springfield, zero. Um, and then we go to the women's side, men, uh, women's premier division. Brown over Army, 21 to 19. Sorry, Scott. Uh, Division one, Clemson, 29 over UMass, 17. Division two, Roger Williams, 29 over Colorado School of Mines, seven. Congratulations to Roger Williams. They are repeat champions, as is, by the way, the uh, IUP from the men's side. And then on the small college side, Endicott, 15 over Lee. Excellent stuff and an amazing contest. Great to be able to see the next generation given that platform to be able to showcase their skills, right? And uh, give them the chance to be able to compete against even greater competition. Um, you pointed it out. Production value was awesome. It was shown on the rugby network. So do yourself a favor of rugby uh, as a rugby fan. Go and check it out. The highlights are available through rugby uh, network, but also, of course, their YouTube channel and their social media. And that is, of course, the CRCs through NCR. Again, that is around the pitch and we're going to more importantly take a moment away to share a few words from one of our partners who help us do what we do here week after week on the rugby rant and then we'll be back afterwards to be able to talk about this new sevens rugby competition stick around folks we'll be back Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, as it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. 
This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tighthead's Tap Room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark barrel-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. gentlemen this is the exciting one for today that we have all been waiting to be able to talk about and fans have been waiting to be able to learn about so the new york rugby sevens contest the new one to the uh, american landscape an official title new york city champion sevens rugby tournament also coincides as the launch of world rugby uh, football league not to be confused with the other code but really just the, the the name that's adopted but it is purely in the realm of sevens and what they believe is going to be the next step in the evolution of sevens rugby, not only here in the U.S., but globally, as it has the buy-in from many great countries that includes New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Fiji, Ireland, Kenya, and of course, the United States. What's interesting about the United States is that they'll have four teams represented in this competition that promises to offer a very alluring cash prize with a total of $1 million up for grabs. Gentlemen, when people hear figures like this as a rugby fan, we normally begin to hear the roll of eyes, right? We normally begin to be able to hear the whispers of, oh, well, remember this and remember that. There's a lot of cynicism around this type of packaged rugby in the U.S. We're here to be able to talk about its validity and to help that happen. I'm going to hand it to each of you and Rob and Scott, you're going to send forth what you think is the merits. What do you think are the concerns? And let's go ahead and offer, who did I offer it to last time, by the way? I think that's Rob started or is it Scott started? Who started last time? I don't remember. Yeah, give it to, give it to Scott. He's, you know, all right. He's running hot from what I understand. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so look at that. Yeah, the, the, the honor is yours, Scott. What have you got for us? All right, let's get hot, baby. So, I mean, you know, after reading what they're about, they obviously have a plan. They had a plan prior to, to COVID, which didn't mm-hmm. come to fruition. So, you know, phase one is this year, right? So it's 16 games in an eight-hour event with a $1 million cash pool. Um, and as Ty said, it'll be at uh, Red Bull Arena in New York. Hopefully the big guy will be there. I'm, I'm looking to get a press pass. Next year, they're going with 48 games, right? And in phase two, it's going to have playoffs in New York City and L.A. And the finals taking place in Las Vegas. Now, you know, we had talked about this, I think, you know, months ago, um, talking about how L.A. 7s has kind of crashed and how um, mm-hmm. we're, we're missing what we had in Las Vegas 7s prior to them moving, um, you know, uh, of the HSBC leg, right? So they're looking to put this is this is the company that was essentially had set that up previously. They're looking to put it back in Vegas because they know that people are going to that venue. Then they actually have phase three, which is 2025, 112 games. I'm sorry. In phase two, there's a four million dollar cash pool Um, in uh, phase three. There's 112 games with seven events and a 12 million dollar cash pool. And they're showcasing in Dallas, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco with finals taking place in New York City, L.A. and Vegas. So, I mean, they have a plan. It seems to be 
you know, this is something that they can do. This is something that they can put on. I mean, we've seen what PR sevens has done as far as a, a private sevens event in a league and it can be done. I think what people are hoping for is to get those international faces and names to be playing for their teams. Um, the, the, the thing is, I know this is kind of a, a lead up into the, to the world cup here. And my real question is, can they pull it off? Right. So the one thing that PR sevens did, and they did it in the middle of COVID was they had their one event right in uh, Tennessee and they right. proved the concept. They had about 5,000 people there. They had exclusive television rights on CBS sports, I think in that leg. And then, you know, they were online last year. They had the three legs. All of them were the last hour of the event were, were televised. Um, they had their Fubi sports uh, uh, thing going for, for free, you know, and they had about, again, they were averaging about 5,000 per leg. So as they're slowly growing, they're getting what they need to cover their expenses and show this is a viable product. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this $1 million cash incentive is going to kind of blow the bank as far as what they actually think is going to happen at a rugby sevens tournament in the middle of July in New Jersey. I'll put it this way. When I was at the MLR championship last year, and we're talking in the first week of June, I mean, I, I almost had heat stroke from being in the sun that long. So, you know, I, th- I think there's a couple things is it, can it happen? Is there validity to it? Yes. You know, we're, we're going to have um, the CEO of, of the RFL on in a couple weeks to ask him some questions. So is there validity? Yes, I believe so. But then it makes me wonder like certain things. So if you look up, if you look up the, 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 the New York city uh, seventh year, they have this article from Bleacher Report and the title, and this is this is you know from January twentieth, twenty ten, right? If you look right. up uh, the well, it's CEO. an interview with him. I think I yeah, I it's an interview, yeah, an interview with the CEO, and it's it says you know the 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 U.S. professional rugby is closer to reality. So I mean, you know, um, you know, it's it's Tatham uh, William Tatham has had you know the backing of of USA Rugby to start a professional rugby union league whatever he was mm-hmm. going to do all the way back we're talking now 13 years ago and none of that has come to fruition yet right so you know will the will the past history right well, does history tennis to repeat itself yeah but will we see it on this occasion yeah so know, so right? i think yeah i think it's really two questions will they get the event you know in uh, off the uh off the ground mm-hmm. and two is it a viable product for their phase two and phase three Right. And and to be able to remind everybody, July 15th is just around the corner in case you haven't done the math. And that's when it's scheduled to happen at Red Bull Arena. And uh, they're going to be pulling players from what I believe is going to be a mix of uh, USA greater roster players, uh, a lot of uh, All-American collegiate players. You're looking at players from the MLR. You have to assume there's a lot of names that are playing a a tremendous amount of rugby and in July 15th might still have commitments, right. Or, or, or at least still be recovering. So it's, it's a pretty big, tall order. Um, there's a lot of teams um, and, and there's a lot of international partners. So there's certainly a larger logistics involved. I mean, this is, you, you compared it to PR sevens, PR sevens is a domestic contest. This is an international contest by looking at the partners that are on this roster. So we have to assume it's going to be a lot harder to be able to do. Can they do it? Has the makeup got the, uh, the, uh, the logistics or the plan right there? Sure. On paper. Absolutely. We want to be able to see it as a success. Um, but before I dive any farther into some of my further thoughts, I think it's best we just hand it back to uh, Rob, the hammer hammer Schmidt to hear what you have to say. I love the idea. 
right? And and they're using this year as a proof of concept. They're going to do one-off event, just like Premier uh, PR7s did mm-hmm. down in Memphis. Do one event, proof of concept, grow it over the next three years. And I love what the vision is, you know, two years, three years down the road. Here's my big concern, okay? Is there enough bandwidth in the rugby community in the United States yeah. to endure this? Because mm-hmm. think about where this is landing in the calendar. Yes, it's one event. It's July 15th. This is the same weekend as the Western Conference Final for PR7s. So you're not going to have, you know, some of those guys that have already committed to PR7s are not going to be available for rosters in any of those four American teams. Um, and and will that be an issue? Um, you know, the, the, the weekend prior is the MLR Final, right? Mm-hmm. And then the following weekend, you have the East Coast final for PR seven. So you have three major events in successive weekends in the American rugby landscape. Um, you know, and, and, and that's a huge question. Can they pull this off? Um, you know, strategically it works because it's the Western conference final on the same weekend. You're, you know, this is happening in the East. And so you have, you know, fans are not going to fly across country to go see the Western conference final from the East coast. They have this option to go forward with. Um, but, it's a lot for people to consume over the four course of three weeks, especially those that might uh, be tuning in via TV. Will they be watching? Will they be getting eyes on? And we know that, of course, um, you know, TV revenue and and commercialization drives well, revenue streams. And when you're talking about a million dollars, guys, you know, that is a lot of money to put up front. Now, listen, uh-huh. I've talked to somebody involved with this that's close to it. The money's there. The investment is there. This person has guaranteed me that, right? What I'm interested in is can an event like this in phase two, phase three, carry the momentum forward? Can these investors, because it's all done by private investment, can these investors stand up for the long haul to develop that culture that has been developed and associated with Las Vegas Sevens? Because that's kind of the Mm -hmm. idea, right? To get people to be a party atmosphere. It's supposed to be like a festival situation. That's what they're trying to recreate. And I love the idea, but they're going to have to be committed to this phase program and endure potential losses in order to reap gains down the road and create this, you know, perfect storm, so to speak, for Rugby Sevens in the United States. So, I'm interested to see what kind of uh, sponsorship they come forward with. We'll obviously get some of those questions in a few weeks when we have the CEO in. Uh, but it's it's certainly an interesting concept that I support. Just wonder if everybody can get on board with their, you know, um, with their bandwidth uh, for rugby in the United States. At the so to jump on a couple of those points there, and Rob, you bring up some really good points, but I want to add a little bit of deeper context and some of those things. And you spoke about the broadcast partners. So the broadcast partner that has uh, been chosen is ESPN plus. We all have our arguments about that. Don't this, suck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's not CBS. It's not Fox. It's not the broadcast value that a larger partner can bring. And with that, it brings immediately less attraction for a sponsor. So there certainly are challenges that will be surfacing. Um, but as you rightly pointed out through you know, various sources. It appears as if the finance is there. And usually that's where the first red uh, uh, red flags are, right? And, and it's always kind of follow the money, follow the money, great concept, great organization, great p- people involved, but where's the money coming from? And that appears, at least at surface value, to be tied up 
which is great. I mean, and I mean tied up, I mean wrapped in a nice bow and presented to them. Um, so that's really, really good. So at least maybe one of the greatest challenges is overcome, but there's certainly awesome challenges here. And you pointed out the other one is that this is a concept. So if this concept doesn't go according to plan, will they be a phase two? Will they be a phase three? At least now it seems as that are committed to a three-year project. Hopefully it can continue to be scaled up. It certainly is more ambitious in its in its approach in terms of scaling it up than PR7s is. But the last thought that I also wanted to be able to, to share with folks is that I don't want people to be able to think that this is in competition to PR7s, whereas actually through conversations I've had with people close to the project is that this is supposed to bridge the gap between PR7s, which is a domestic competition, and then the HSBC uh, level and Olympic level, which is your highest level, this is the gap in between. It's professional at an international level. And yes, it is not, it's not supposed to be competing against any, but the calendar is full. Rugby attention yeah. is small. Yeah. I mean, and, and what does it, I'm sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Uh, and I was going to say, what does it do for the United States fan? Because in my opinion, when I'm looking at the way they're doing their pricing and their ticketing, a full day ticket's $55. That, I kind of get mm-hmm. that it's an eight-hour event. I understand that. Right. You want to be close to the DJ and party and dance, which is that festival atmosphere, it's $85. Right. I get that. It's probably center you know, center field. It's going to be a little more. You're going to get more bang for your buck, that type of thing. understand that. But this is where I see it to start to go awry as far as the you know what we like to talk about about growing fans. The Audi Access Club, $450 gets you club seating, all-inclusive food and soft drinks with a cash bar. And then... The click to inquire the 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 no the no price on the list is the Provident Bank Suites, which they say is the ultimate experience with a VIP catered suite. I got to be honest, how many people are getting those tickets for HSBC events that actually kind of count for something, in my opinion? You know, mm. so we're talking about you know having uh, you know uh, di- different teams, you know, coming in doing a, a, a this cash prize, and let's be honest, I feel like with the HSBC Sevens tournament. Guys, there's some more pride in that. That's the top of the top for the sevens, right? So oh, not, qualifier, qualification. That in the Olympics, yeah. Yeah, you know, so so where is their incentive? And I'm not I'm not saying players don't play a hundred percent, but where is it an incentive for a player who may be at the top level in the middle, you know, right before a, a World Cup cycle, what have you, or whatever to go and say, I'm gonna play in this tournament, I might get injured for a prize playing in New York City, where what kind of you know what what reception are we gonna get? And noticeably they're missing a team on this list. Rugby Canada wasn't invited. So interestingly enough, if they're that, holding. If a, that's true. I don't. Know, I hope that's a typo there, but maybe. I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking. Like I'm looking at their their website, right. and they're. I mean, they I don't see. I mean, and we're talking about Kenya is coming, um, yeah, Fiji, and, you know, France, and, and don't get me wrong. I understand yeah, where Kenya is right now. I'm excuse me, where um, mm-hmm. Canada is right now. I think they're like 14th in the HSBC standings, but my point being. What drives up ticket sales of a North American event yeah. if it's, you know, it's, it, it's always should be USA and Canada competing, you know, in these, in these types of events in each right, country. Right. There's one yeah. more emission, Scott, one more emission. And this is the one that astounds me, especially when you mention Canada women, mm-hmm. where's the women's side of the tournament? Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw, and we've seen a tremendous effort come out of the women's sevens. I mean, some absolute athleticism. You can't tell me that Charlotte Kaslick and the Aussies wouldn't be a huge draw. I mean, USA women are always a huge draw. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, didn't we just, didn't we just you see know? a huge, I, we just saw a huge six nations final 58, almost 59,000 people at Twickenham yeah. to watch the mm-hmm. six nation women's final. I mean, let's, let's be honest when it comes to um, uh, uh, um, social media presence and yeah. getting out there and building more people, it's the women's side. And you're, you're right. It's, that's it's a really and good point. Tell me that if you didn't say, okay, million dollar cash prize, 500,000 women, 500,000 men, that it still doesn't attract international interest. And this is where we can teams. give a kudos to PR sevens, right? Because not only right. do they give them the, the, the equal opportunity to be on the field, but it's also equal pay. And this is to your furthering your point, split the pot, right? Mm-hmm. Then the money's there. But if you're trying to be able to reach and, you know, launch a new event, you want to be able to try and at best reach a new market, right? You can't rely entirely, like you, to your further, your point earlier, Rob, is at what point have we saturated the American rugby fan? Right. Um, How much more rugby can we ask them to a watch and b pay for? Right. So where is that new frontier? It's the women's game. Yeah. And it is across Mm -hmm. the the, the different rugby uh, nations. So you would actually think that that might be your greatest room to for growth, because even if you are stunted on the men's and you're maybe not getting as much traction, you might be able to get a, a, a tremendous amount of growth on the other side, especially if they share the same stage. So really, really fair points. Um, one is Canada's not there, which I'm looking at the list again. Scott, you pointed out. I actually didn't not- for, notice it at first, but it should be there. And to your uh, point there, uh, Rob, woman, right? So yeah, there are there are some questions here, and we'll have that opportunity again for fans who who are tuning in here. We want you to be able to be with us as we continue this conversation. As we will have uh, Tatham, uh, the uh, founder uh, and, and I guess CEO, whatever title he might prefer, join us for a run pass or kick interview. So please don't be shy. Let us know with a comment what you might want us to be able to ask. Rob is the quiz master. You can message him directly as well. He does a phenomenal job on setting up those questions for the RPK. So general. And those are really two big question marks. But I, and while we have those question marks, let's turn our attention to the positives just for a moment. What can we gain as the rugby landscape, and what can we gain as the American fan through a successful platform like this? Well, I mean, go my bad, Rob. Yeah, well, no, it's. Um, I, I think we're on the same page in this. I think bring bring greater eyes to the uh, to on rugby in America as we begin to continue to build and develop closer towards the World Cup 2031 and 33. I think on a micro level too, doesn't it stake a claim that Red Bull should play a role someplace in that landscape? If they can pull this off well here, host a good tournament in New York, demonstrate proof of concept, get a quality crowd, put on a good event, um, you know, that party atmosphere that it's built, you know, as Scott talked about ticketing and VIP lounges, uh-huh. make a good showing in that regard it makes a pretty good claim that Red Bull Arena should play a role in 2031 and 2033. Hell, I mean, from the women's side with its size, that might, well, it might be too small actually now that I I, I mention it for a women's world cup final, but certainly um, it, it, it would demonstrate that, you know, Red Bull could be a proof of concept for much greater tournaments, uh, you know, down the road in the United States. Well, here, here's where I'll say I think they've already proved it, and this is this is just me having some knowledge that Rob probably doesn't have. You know, they had um, Saracen. No, I'm saying <laughs> I love the way Saracen's, he phrased that. This is just me knowing well, no. more than Rob. Um, no, no, no. They had. I was <laughs> no. I was there for Saracens. To the, closer to the to the community. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was there for Saracens during London uh, versus London Irish. I think they had nineteen thousand out of twenty five thousand seats filled. I was yeah. there for USA uh, Eagles versus Ireland, which was a sellout crowd. 
Um, you know, I was there recently for the the past MLR championship, and so they they know how to put on the production. The the, the mm-hmm. venue knows how to put on the big productions. You know, I've right. been there for Red Bulls matches. And, and, that and have just great so for folks too. know, like one of the great things that I love when I did a little bit of more research about this, they're not using as it has been done in the past for, for in the US uh, landscape using the smaller field. They're actually using the Olympic size uh, mm-hmm. thing, which apparently obviously Red Bull must be able to support. Yeah. Um, so so they're really trying to be able to stay as close to uh, the international standard as possible. And I imagine that was a part of the conversation if you're getting so many uh, different countries to buy in. And, and I will want people to also note that when you check out on the website we're not talking about a team from south africa it's branded springboks it's branded mm-hmm. wallabies you know it's yeah, flying fajians the simbas right yeah you know you're you're absolutely right it's it's those it's the national team coming in to play i wonder how many of the a players will be there again that's mm-hmm. a question and here's right. a here's a tie-in that they did try and do for the local community they're having what's called the heroes championship which is nypd fdny right, philadelphia yeah. fire department and new jersey state troopers are having a sevens tournament within that tournament to try and tie in the local community right. and I see it. But again, having the international game, don't get me wrong. The more rugby we bring in here, the better, the the better, the quality of rugby, the, the more people can watch it. ESPN plus now, and now having this on ESPN plus opens up that those people who are looking for something to watch on that particular Saturday, say what the hell is going on here and just mm-hmm. click on it. And hopefully they're seeing, you know, Perry Baker running down the sideline really fast. But my, my point being is it, it does give a broader scope, but I do, not, I kind of like that we're oversaturated. I kind of like that USA Rugby is sanctioning these people and and making sure that the product is good on their side, and then saying, you know, let let's have it, yeah. let's do something in the United well, States. Let's, but, well, hold on, but, but but back to my previous point is what what is it accomplishing for fans in the United States to grow the game? Not right. really sure. Now that's not, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that should be their thing, but that's just a mm-hmm. question I have if they're going to do. 12 sure, it's, different it's always it's a $12 million prize question. with yeah 12 million dollar prize with seven different sites in the next two years across the united states you know i want to hear what they have to say about growing the game here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and and you know growing the game has to be it, it's not their job and we've had this conversation with pr7s we had this conversation with mlr it's not their job they're businesses right they they've got to be able to check the boxes and you know uh make sure that they make a profit like anything else USA Rugby's job is to basically grow the game. So it's in their benefit to be able to sanction tournaments like these where they can actually kind of tell their job for them. Now, again, it's not, but it is a great benefit, a secondary benefit. And I'm gonna, I wanted to be able to read a quote here before I hand it back to you, Rob. I can see you're kind of itching to be able to have your next shot at this uh, conversation. But there's a particular quote that I like here from this, this uh, article that you uh, pointed out from uh, uh, Bleacher Report, where they had spoken with uh, the CEO founder, Tatham, who we again will have on the show soon enough. Here's the quote, and I love this one. As the Olympics so clearly proves, American players and fans love to beat the world, and the world loves to beat America. That kind of defines the the the, the persona, uh, or sorry, the the spirit of this competition. If so, that's why they say it's a great positive because they want to grow American rugby. So while there's a country represented from many of the great nations, there's going to be four teams represented from the U.S. So there's going to be a lot of great talent that we're going to borrow from these other leagues, focusing on that development, that next generation. So it could be another great chance for those guys to continue and the careers and play before. At that level. Before Rob goes, let me let me correct that. We're actually having Ken Yaffe on, and he is this he's a senior advisor and the chief executive for World Rugby. So I misspoke before. Okay. 
Chief executive for World Rugby still sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, so nevertheless, it's great questions that we're asking, and this is what the conversation's about, right? And uh, we'll have the opportunity to learn more about this uh, uh, competition um, through some of those um, on the show uh, come next week. That's right, uh, uh, Scott, next week? Uh, We'll be doing the interview next week. It should come out uh, the week after. The week after. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, Rob, you look like you got something you want to say. You know, you said it. um, it, This is a business and their, you know, chief focus is on growing the business side of things. I don't disagree with that. But uh, USAR is a sanctioning body. Shouldn't they have something built in there in an effort to grow the game? If they're going to sanction it, they should Uh have a caveat that there's something that has to be done to grow the game. We're seeing PR7s did a lot with the Memphis inner city youth when they when they uh, initiated their proof of concept two years ago. Um, I I would have liked to have seen something done um, to promote youth youth rugby in some way, somehow. Um, So. Whatever that might look like, let's see if they do something of that nature. But you know, like I said, I, th- I think uh, USAR should should you know expect that from organizations that they're going to sanction, put on events. You're right. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. I mean, just the clinic on the day, you know, outreach to local schools, um, provide a, a donor a donorship, but like gives them enough money to buy a new kit or whatever it is. There's simple mm. things that you could do that don't actually require a lot of resources from your organization, except either one is time. And I, and I bet if you had to put it out to the community, there'd be plenty of people happy to help for a rugby clinic to be able to introduce kids who are just putting a rugby ball in their hand. And I'm pretty sure that if you got the right partners and you will with your sponsors, that would be another great benefit of them being. They could be associated to the clinic. They could be, you know, they could be a lot of great things. And um, I wonder to your earlier point, if USA Rugby is simply going, oh, great, cool. You want this type of competition? How's it going to be run? Oh, that sounds cool. We'll we'll give you sanctioning because that sounds organized. But is there a thought as to how that actually helps grow rugby? I don't know if that's a part of the conversation, but it should be in the ideal world. So um, let me hand it once around the table, gentlemen, as I think we've spent enough time on this to be able to give your final thoughts of optimism for an event that is new to rugby in the U.S. And we'll open it up with who we opened this original uh, debate with. That's you, Scott. Listen, I think this event can take off in the United States. If it can get that lost Las Vegas party atmosphere going, it could be shown on ESPN plus and things like that. And, you know, going through the uh, RFL's like offices, we spoke about, about Ken Yaffe, who we're going to have on, you know, he's, he worked for the NHL. He worked for the world cup of hockey. Um, Sean Verity, the executive producer. I mean, he's worked with sky sports, BBC, BT sport, Google, you know, so you're seeing, you're seeing like, people who've worked outside of rugby in bigger mm-hmm. productions to, to work on this and put this out. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, I think it has obviously the financial backing as Rob, uh, you know, has found out. So it has the financial backing. It has people who are professional to a level that's beyond what rugby is right now working on the production of it. And it seems like it's going along. I mean, they announced the arena. They wouldn't have announced the arena on all these publications unless they had it. So, We'll see on January 15th what they get as far as actual ticketing and viewership, but I do think this could be Mm -hmm. a launching point for this young league to start. Right, and we have to be, you know, um, 
optimistic, cautiously optimistic. I mean, anybody's first foray at any event is going to be tumultuous. There's going to be challenges. It's going to be interesting, as you say, to be able to see. But, um, you know, the only thing we have to compare it against, and we shouldn't be compare it against, but, you know, the venue fills, I don't know how much, 20-something thousand people? How many people is it for Red Bull? Right. I think it's I think it's like twenty three or twenty five something like that. Right. So it's a very decent, much bigger than what m- most events of this nature have done. Um, so you want the optics to look good. We don't know where they where they, what they consider a success, but we hope to be able to see most of the seats filled or a big portion of them. Right. Well, awesome to squeeze together. Get on the wrong one camera angle. We know how it goes. Um, Rob, your final thoughts. Yeah, well, I, I agree, Scott. I think it has legs. The question is, are the legs ready to run a marathon or a sprint? Uh, and so, you know, will and how does this fit into the rest of the rugby landscape there in a heavy packed July? Um, those are all questions hopefully we'll see answered. But again, as long as they have a commitment to this three-year vision and beyond, um, I think it's a great concept. I think they can build towards it. I think they can develop and build that that Las Vegas atmosphere. But remember, Las Vegas was one event in a series that went to other places, right? Can they create that party and festival atmosphere three years down the road at seven different venues? That's a tough ask of the the rugby community because, you know, I know that I had friends here in Chicago that used to go to Las Vegas Sevens every single year, right? Because it was a great rugby event, a one-off event. Uh, you know, if there's one in Chicago, one. Yeah, it was like a pilgrimage. Everybody went there. Right, right. right. Yeah, and to be able to say, okay, well, you can make one American event successful right. over time, and what's it expanding to in 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 the future, like six or seven? Yeah. Um, you yep. know, that's that's yeah. You, it's a good point there from from you, Rob. I, I guess you know, obviously, like everything else, time will tell. Um, I guess one thing that I would have wanted is to be able to have this announced earlier. Give yourself more time. This is your first opportunity, right? And have people choose it as a destination. It's right in the middle of, of, of summer travel. You know, people have already made their plans. Life is, you know, where are you drawing your rugby support from? They've already made their plans. They really plan your summer vacations, especially if you've got kids. You plan that well in advance, yeah. right? And then if you're playing rugby, well, your calendar is pretty full already. I'm not asking you to do it a year out, but I feel like you could have at least dripped something if you thought it was going to be. But maybe you wanted to make sure all your I's were dotted and your T's were crossed. I respect that too. But then, you know, July, putting yourself under pressure. I guess it's already going to be under pressure. I just feel like they've created a little bit more pressure and I hope they do well. We always wish everybody the best, every organization, every player, everybody that's involved, we hope for the best, but as per usual, as American rugby fans, we're cautiously optimistic always. Yep. Gentlemen, it's been another great episode here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. I offer a reminder to our fans tuning in that none of this happens without your support. So continue to be able to follow us online under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, whether it be the Rugby Network or be on any of our social media platforms, in addition to finding us on all the major platforms for podcasts, wherever you may get it. Find us under that handle at Rugby Rant Pod. We truly do appreciate it because without you, we wouldn't keep doing what we're doing here and we wouldn't be able to help other fans find the game and learn more about it. So it's all about you at the end of the day. And uh, 
leave us a comment about this and more if you wanted us to be able to dive deeper into this. Um, hopefully you, Scott, will be uh, the boots on the ground if, uh, if all things go well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're going to be doing some interviews, but we hope to be able to get a recap, as you did for us with uh, PRO7s, uh, and give us your insights after um, to be able to learn what that fan experience was about, because it's certainly, oh, yeah. through all of our opinions, seems to be one of the the defining factors is can they provide the entertainment on and off the field but we do know that america does know how to put on a show so hopefully that's what they deliver gentlemen thank you again uh scott the big guy Ferrar, rob the hammer hammerschmidt my name is ty the sapper braga thank you all for tuning in and we will catch you at the next This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.